This is Mandy. Welcome to episode two of my podcast, which at this current time is unnamed. Um, reflecting on yesterday's podcast, um, I feel really empowered. I feel <clears throat> a certain kind of freedom I really haven't felt in a long time. I feel like for the first time in a long time, something's mine. Like something's all mine. Like I own it. And um, this feels right. This feels good. I don't know whether it's going to last. I don't know whether it's just temporary or novel. Um, But maybe there's something to uh, telling the truth and having a one-sided conversation that nobody can interrupt with an opinion or a text or a phone call or a waitress delivering food in the middle of a meal. Because I find I've tried to talk to people about my illness. Not that this has to be all about that, but that's just what's on my mind at the moment. And people don't listen. And it can be really hurtful when you're trying to share something that's so incredibly sensitive and something that's been so painful and something that's been the the ultimate bane of your existence and people aren't really listening and they're more distracted by what's going on in their phone or on their plate or in their own head or waiting to respond with unsolicited advice on health for an illness that is very misunderstood um, or one that they don't even want to learn very much about. Because what I found with having a chronic illness is that especially chronic fatigue syndrome, which is a syndrome, and a syndrome is an illness that nobody knows what causes it. It just means that there's a collection of symptoms that a certain percentage of people all have. That's it. There's no test. There's no known treatment, no known cure. That is a syndrome. And sometimes they find it in clusters, uh, like this was a cluster in Lake Tahoe for some reason, and uh, maybe a couple other places I can't remember. Um... So the point being is that people's automatic response a lot of times when I say that I have chronic fatigue syndrome is to say, wow, well, yeah, I'm, I'm really tired. <laughs> I'm like, really? Have you been tired for six months to the point where you had to uh, immediately quit your job and could barely work for 20 years? Um, it's... And I know it's natural, and I know it's kind of human, and I know people don't know what to say, but sometimes the best thing is to just shut the fuck up. Sometimes the best thing to do is to just listen. And I guess that comes with experience, and that comes with time sometimes. Because I remember when I was younger, And, you know, I have a relative who has diabetes and has had juvenile diabetes, um, obviously, since she was a child. And, you know, my uncle was telling me um, that she needed a, a transplant. And it was very scary to me. And I was very um, rocked by this. And at the time, I was taking Chinese herbs, um, you know, from the store, and I wasn't having a doctor help me with them. I was just buying them kind of willy-nilly and, you know, taking them without knowing what I was doing. Um, And um, I suggested, well, maybe she should take Chinese herbs. And my uncle said, yeah. And it was just, it was that moment. It was that sound of his voice. As soon as it came out of my mouth, I knew it was a stupid thing to say. It was the dumbest thing I could have said. And I felt so ridiculous for having said it. 
you know, she's, you know, my aunt was in the middle of a life altering, you know, challenging moment in her health. Um, and I'm offering something so ridiculous. Um, you know, she, she needed a transplant, which she got, and it was very successful. And I'm offering, (laughs) you know, um, something that don't get me wrong, herbs can be very helpful for people. Um, and they can actually be incredibly powerful, but it was just not the right thing to say at the right time, or maybe not the right thing to say at all, given the situation. But I was so uncomfortable, um, with that information and I was young and I didn't know how to respond and I was taken aback and I didn't know that's what my uncle was calling to tell me. And, you know, no one ever knows they're about to hear some kind of, you know, shocking news and or surprising news. Um, so as someone who's middle-aged now, I would obviously handle that differently. I would probably say, oh my God, that's terrible. I'm so sorry to hear that. And I would just listen. And I would just let the person speak. And I would offer my support and my kind of condolences on the situation. Um, And I would probably get off the phone and then send that person a card or call them and just let them know that I love them or send a gift or something, whatever would be kind of like appropriate. And just, I'm not a perfect person. I'm not. And I don't always do the right thing at the right time, but I try. And that comes with age. That that just comes with age. Older people are better at that kind of stuff than younger people, in my experience. And when younger people are better at that or great at that, those are usually pretty awesome people, in my opinion. Those are people who just start out with a lot of heart, who aren't afraid of showing love and expressing it easily. And they don't, they don't get rattled by things. They just approach everything with love. And at that moment, I didn't. And we get really uncomfortable about illness We almost, you know, think it's contagious, especially if it's something that doesn't have a cure. And the moment something doesn't have a cure, we blame the patient. Because if something has a cure or doesn't have a cure, for example, like let's take Parkinson's um, and we can look at somebody like Michael J. Fox and we can see his illness. It's clear. We see it when he walks. We see it in, in him just sitting there. So we don't blame him for having that illness. We don't expect him to be able to heal himself and get over it and just do talk therapy and just get out his suppressed feelings and just make it go away. We expect Western medicine to come up with a solution for his illness because we can see it. We can see that something has gone wrong in his body and we think Western medicine should find a way to fix it. But when you have an illness like cancer or chronic fatigue syndrome, and I say that because I've had both, and there isn't a cure for either of those, There's treatment for cancer. There's not really treatment. People would like doctors, certain doctors who are making a lot of money off of very vulnerable, vulnerable people would like you to think that they have treatments and I have done them and they, they don't work for a large percentage of people or I don't think they work for many people at all. Um, but I lost my train of thought. Um, when things don't have a cure, people want to blame it that you're not thinking right. So, you know, they really want to blame it. Like when I had cancer, people would say, oh, think positive. And I know people really don't know what to say to you when you have cancer. That's like a whole other level of weirdness. 
um, and, and discomfort, um, with your friends and family that I've never experienced with chronic fatigue, chronic fatigue, people are mean and nasty, um, and super judgmental. Um, and with cancer, they're just, um, either avoidant or, uh, look at you with pity or they, you know, keep trying to tell you not to be, keep telling you to think positive and things like that as if you're walking around going, Oh, I'm negative. I guess I'm just going to die. Oh, well I give up, which is not what you're thinking, but it's natural to be afraid. It's, it's natural to be afraid. It doesn't mean you're giving up and it doesn't mean you're not hopeful, but you can be hopeful and terrified at the same time. Uh, That's pretty much my experience with cancer. I'm hopefully terrified. I really hope this works because I'm scared shitless. Um, and, but even within cancer, I found people to try to, they wanted you to try to mind warp your way through it and think your way out of it. Because when there isn't a cure, people go, well, that's, that's the only thing left. If there's no, you know, device way medication to, you know, just make it go away, then you've got to mind over matter this shit. And it's putting this bizarre obligation onto a patient to think their way out of something that they can't. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't believe in meditation. I, I learned transcendental meditation uh, last year, which is incredibly powerful. I've, I've done every type of meditation. I've been meditating for years. I 100% believe in meditation. I think it is something that should be taught in schools. I think kids should learn it at a young age. I think everyone should be meditating. Um, I, I, meditation has been around for, you know, eons, thousands of years beyond. And it's integral and to who we are as people and it serves many purposes um for our health and well-being um and when i don't feel when i don't do it i don't feel the same and when i do transcendental meditation instead of i know that you know the celebrities out there like jerry seinfeld and other people talk about feeling calmer i feel more love I'm an empath, so you know we'll we'll get to that in other in other talks. But um, I just feel more space for love. So you know whatever meditation makes you feel like is is whatever works for you. If the people feel calmer from it, that's amazing. You know if you feel more capacity for love for the world, for yourself, for others. That's great too. I mean, calmer people certainly have more patience, which would make me think they have more love. So, you know, maybe it's all kind of the same thing, but I definitely feel, I don't, I don't, the first thing isn't calm. I feel my heart is bigger. So I've never quite felt that from mindfulness meditation. Mindfulness meditation is very calming. It feels like taking some laps around the pool Transcendental is like taking the deep dive. So it's just a completely different meditative experience. But when people try to insist that it's all in your head is when it becomes mean, when it becomes kind of uh, fear-based. You know, people aren't trying to be mean. They aren't trying to be nasty, but they're being triggered by your illness. They're being triggered by the powerlessness that they feel they're being triggered by that your lack of cure makes them triggered by where they feel out of control in their life it triggers their feel fears about what if I had an illness I couldn't cure or I have a kid child friend person that's important to me that has a problem that I can't fix that's making me crazy it's it's the type of thing that if I can control you, then I can better control what's going on in my brain. So I'm going to tell you what you should do and I'm going to fix you so that I, I can relax. And it's very ostracizing and it makes people who have, whether it's autoimmune diseases or 
other chronic fatigue is not an autoimmune disease just to be clear um it is a syndrome autoimmune is when the body is attacking itself it it um and chronic fatigue is a myriad of a collection of of symptoms that people get like swollen glands sore throats um uh viral infections that uh, reoccur, um, migraines, on and on. You can have a lot of different um, low-grade fever. Those are kind of some of the main ones. A lot of people can have, you know, a, a, a plethora. There, there are so many different things that are, I don't want to say offshoots of chronic fatigue, but things that can be attributed from chronic fatigue syndrome that I, I could go on and on. So, you know, YouTube it, Google it, so I don't have to bore you with every single symptom that comes with this. But, you know, it's, it's the main thing is are those symptoms and having fatigue, you know, exhaustive fatigue where you cannot do basic daily functions as you did uh, that lasts for longer than six months. That's it. Um, and rarely do people with chronic fatigue get disability, um, social security disability. So, and I do not and have never. So, um, you know, I, I have better luck getting one if I had a bad knee, um, than having it with chronic fatigue syndrome. So that's, there's still just a stigma around it. And so many tests that I would have to take, um, tests that I've spent thousands of dollars taking to just eliminate or try to figure out if there was any other possibility of other illnesses being the cause of this that my doctors told me not to bother even applying because I would probably get denied as people with chronic fatigue normally do. Fibromyalgia, yes. Chronic fatigue syndrome, not so much. So the, the reaction to this illness has been all over the place, but rarely do I get compassion. Rarely do I get people saying, uh, well, if you need anything, let me know. Um, if there's any way I can help, let me know. Even when I was getting, um, in the middle of my divorce, I really didn't have anyone going, gosh, how is she going to move all her shit out of her townhome? How is she going to pack up all her stuff? She's exhausted all the time. She doesn't have like any energy. How's she going to do that? I had to hire people. Um, and I had some friends, you know, uh, come and help out, but it just, I could have used an army of people. And people just don't even think, wow, she might need like a lot of help. And I'm like, yeah, I do. But I don't know. It's kind of like a double-edged sword in a way that I don't want the world to see me that way. Um, I will go and have lunch with a friend first thing, save my energy for that day, for that lunch. So people are seeing me hour one when I, you know, have some energy. And then after that lunch, that's maybe all I do that day. Um, so to them, I seem fine. So I know it must be kind of a mind fuck to go, I don't get it. You know, I've had other friends go, I don't get it. I don't see it. And I'm like, right. I, I understand. Cause you can't feel what's going on in my body. And when you see me having an okay day, cause this is not a consistent illness by any means. You can have an okay day and then you're exhausted for two days. Um, you know, you can have a couple hours or a few hours of decent energy. And decent, I mean, running some errands, you know, going to do, you know, something fun, you know, going having lunch. I'm not talking about heavy exercise. Like, I absolutely positively cannot do any kind of cardio. Can't do it. It, it, that just, it's, it's, that's a death sentence for people with chronic fatigue. Um, exercise is something you have to take, um, slowly, carefully. It's something I'm going to try to, to build on. It's something I'm reading about in this new program. Um, 
but you know, to just jump out and, you know, work out. And I'm sure someone, I, I can almost hear people going, what about yoga? Yeah. Yoga's yoga's okay. But again, you know, it's like anything that gets your heart rate up can be depleting. So you have to pick and choose. Um, and I've done all the different types of yoga. I actually tend to like the, um, the slower yogas. I find them incredibly powerful, restorative, um, yoga, as well as yin yoga, um, uh, nidra yoga, unreal. These are really, really powerful yogas. I mean, I'll get into that another time, but you know, restorative is really, um, exactly what it says. Uh, uh, still poses that you hold for seven minutes. Like it's like taking the world's yummiest nap and you come out of it feeling, you know, really great and refreshed. And I've, you can release a lot of stress and even emotional stuff from that. Um, but most of the time you just feel great. Um, yoga nidra is like taking, it's like being asleep and awake at the same time. Um, it's fantastic. It's one hour of yoga nidra is equal to four hours of sleep. So if you're feeling tired, just pop on a YouTube of yoga nidra and you can catch up on some sleep. Yin yoga is about your connective tissues. So it's about holding poses for about three minutes, maybe four. I love yin yoga more than I can say. Um, I feel completely empowered when I'm done with yin yoga. Um, it does such a deep stretch and it's like doing a stretch. And after about a minute and a half, all of a sudden, then you're going to, I guess, pass the muscle to the fascia or reverse. I'm not an expert on yin yoga, but it is, it's pretty incredible. So everybody's all stuck in vinyasa and all of the, you know, yogas that are basically, they're just kind of, you know, substituting a cardio type of yoga for some other type of workout, which is a bastardized version of what yoga really is in America. And we're not really doing it right anyway. Um, I don't know exactly how we're doing it wrong, but all the yogis, you know, the, the people who, you know, invented yoga are, are saying we're not really doing yoga here in America. So the slower ones are incredibly powerful and, but most people are not, Americans aren't interested in doing that, but I digress. Um, back to, you know, some of the reactions because what, what's popping up in my head right now are all the responses from all the years that I've had this illness of things people have said to me when I've said I have cry fatigue syndrome. And when I say it, sometimes people don't even wait. I mean, first of all, I rarely tell anybody I even have this anymore. It's kind of like my dirty little secret, which is, I think, why this idea of doing a podcast is so empowering, um, because I'm so tired of hiding this. I'm so tired of, of feeling like I, I have to keep... The, the, the biggest hindrance in my life, a secret that I'm not allowed to get compassion because the world doesn't understand it. So they negate it and they make you lazy or crazy. And so the lazy part is, oh, you're not trying hard enough. You're not doing enough. You're not putting enough effort into getting better. That's why you're sick. People really believe that. People have accused me of that. And my response to that is, Go fuck yourself. Because if that was really true, why wouldn't the 50 doctors and all the therapists and all the energy healing? I mean, I, I went through Western, then I went to integrative, then I went to alternative medicine, then I went to um, uh, uh, energy healing, which goes from acupuncture all the way to you name it. I've done everything. I've done every type of energy healing that you've never heard of, and then some, and still, I'm not better. Thousands and thousands of hours, and, and energy healing is not for the weak. You know, energy healing is extremely powerful, and that can take sometimes days to get over. Um, and a lot of people don't understand that. I do ac acupuncture, and I'm, I'm, ex I'm out for the day. That's it. 
I, I tend to process energy very quickly. Um, so one session to me is like doing four for a, a, a normal person. Um, so, you know, and the crazy part, you know, is people saying, well, you know, why don't you go talk to a counselor? And I'm like, I've, I've talked to a million counselors. I've done hypnosis. I've done PTSD training. I have done, uh, the EMDR, which is PTSD. I have, uh, been to a million different, uh, a psychotherapist. I've tried at least 10 plus antidepressants. The 2000s were all about antidepressants. They were like, oh, you don't feel good? Take an antidepressant. It was the cure-all for everything. And those medications, I was, I was on Prozac for a year and I felt mm, a little less crappy about how shitty I felt because I'm not depressed. Most people with chronic fatigue don't have depression they might be depressed sometimes, but they don't have depression. So it's not the driving force. And if it, and if the depression was the issue, then the medication would solve the problem. But it didn't. And, but it didn't stop me from continuing on trying more medications and more medications that made me so ill. But, you know, I kept thinking maybe it's in my head too. So I went on to, you know, psychiatrists. I went to Britney Spears' psychiatrist. I mean, you know, in LA, there's no lack of talent here. It's like, if I see somebody on TV, I read about them in a magazine, I can go see them. You know, that's, that's the beauty of living in this town. So, you know, I've spent a fortune on going to talk to people. And yeah, they'll put you on anything you want, you can keep trying medications till your dying day and it will not solve your chronic fatigue syndrome. So, you know, that is where the lazy and the crazy comes from. And that is where people go and out of their fear of your illness and what having something that doesn't have a cure what that triggers, they blame the patient. They don't blame, you know, the medical community for not figuring it out. They don't blame doctors who are also just as ignorant as the public is about these type of illnesses. And let me tell you something. They're finding with COVID that people get COVID and then six months later, they're calling them long haulers. Six months later, they are now getting chronic fatigue-like symptoms that last. So, you know, my illness started with a virus, and so is theirs. And there's so much, like, unknown about, you know, COVID at the moment, and there's going to be a lot more, you know, we're going to learn. But this is going to be a big boost to the research that's going to happen with chronic fatigue syndrome, um, because there's been very little research because it's not fatal. So I guess people don't see it as urgent as other illnesses and they don't realize probably how many people are actually suffering from this because they're not giving anybody disability for it. So there's just not a lot of numbers out there on it. So there's not a lot of bodies to count to say, this is really becoming somewhat of an epidemic you know, they've got fibromyalgia, they've got the other autoimmune diseases, but not so much on chronic fatigue. There are foundations here. There are big foundations in the UK, um, very big in the UK. I'm not sure why. Um, and they call it ME there, and I can't pronounce it. It's, it's myalgic something with a lot of, lot of consonants and vowels ending with itis in it. Um, and um, so... This is going to benefit all the people with CFS because there is a medication that they're testing right now that's in clinical trials called Amplogen. It's $40,000 a year. It's only um, uh, available by IV. And um, I didn't realize that in clinical trials, I don't know if it's every clinical trial, but the patients have to pay for the medication and the supplies, which is absurd to me. So one clinical trial is in Lake Tahoe, which I, again, found interesting knowing that there was a cluster of CFS up there 
in the 80s, I believe. Um, and then there was another one somewhere in the South. I can't remember. So, and this was, you know, they were supposed to have this and then the pandemic hit. So I don't know whether it continued or not. But, um, you know, at 40000 a year plus travel, I'll let someone else uh, be the, you know, guinea pig on that one. And I'm also trying, you know, another approach um, that has been successful for this Australian physicist and all the people that he's interviewed and testimonials he's done on YouTube. So, you know, I will give that a try as well. Um, because I've tried a lot of different, you know, things, you know, supplements and diets and homeopathy and, um, acupuncture. And I, I just, the list is so long, I can't even, um, put it all together, but I've not necessarily done a lot of things besides diet, supplements, acupuncture, um, homeopathy, I haven't necessarily done meditation along with that or a gratitude journal along with that or some other type of, he has some kind of program that I haven't, uh, piece that I haven't gotten to yet. So, you know, it might be something about really hitting this from all sides. So I'll have to kind of get back and report on all of that. I'm still, you know, I've just read the book and I feel like I need to reread it because there's a lot, it was pretty dense and there was a lot of information and it wasn't just CFS. It was for people who have chemical sensitivities and other illnesses with acronyms that I don't know exactly um, what they mean. Uh, I was just really focusing on the CFS part. So uh, the book is called CFS Unraveled, if anybody's interested. Um, so... I'm kind of all over the place right now with how much I want to share. Um, I guess I didn't realize, I did and I didn't realize how much I have in me that I want to say. And I have a lot to say about it. I have a lot to say about a lot of things. And you know, the state of having this illness and how I was, how I've been treated is one part of it. How people react to it is another. And then what is known about the illness and the state of, you know, that is another. And I kind of don't know where to start right now. Um, I remember when I first had this illness, year one, um, it was, something sounds funny about year one, like year one, like that movie with uh, Jack Black. Um, and uh, it was funny. I think it was Jack Black and Will Ferrell as cavemen. And um, I was, you know, we were out with friends and I hadn't worked at all that year and I had basically spent six months on the couch and I was finally feeling a little better, but I I'm not anywhere near like I used to feel. And I happened to mention, you know, I was new at all this. I had no idea the world was going to react so terribly to this illness. I just thought people would be like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that, like normal people. Um, and I happened to mention it to, you know, we were out with some friends and I said, oh, I have chronic fatigue syndrome. So, you know, I'm not, he asked me what I was doing and I said, oh, I'm not working right now. I've just found out I have chronic fatigue syndrome or something like that. So I'm just trying to, you know, and I thought, I thought I was going to find a doctor and knock this out and get better in, you know, a few months and this would all be over. I, I didn't, I had no idea what was ahead of me. And he said, oh you don't have chronic fatigue syndrome. You just, you're just depressed. You, you're just unhappy with your life. My jaw dropped. I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe this asshole just came up with his own diagnosis from his own stupid head and actually said that to me. And I got up and I went and got my husband. I don't think he was my husband at the time. I think we were just living together. 
and I said, uh, I told him what happened. I was like, I want to, I want to get, get out of here. And, um, I was fuming and later this type of thing wouldn't even phase me. I would just, if people said something kind of rude, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even, I just go, hmm, okay, well, that's interesting. And just change the subject and just realize it's their discomfort. It's their ignorance. It's their lack of knowledge or education. Um, it has nothing to do with me. Just like when I made that stupid comment to my uncle about my aunt, it, it, it had nothing to do with my aunt. I was just afraid. I just, I didn't know what to say. I just, I got scared and I wanted to try to, I wanted to try to make it go away is what I was trying to do in the conversation with my uncle because it was too much, you know, why my chronic fatigue syndrome was too much for this perfect stranger. I don't know with my aunt it scared me. I was scared for her. I didn't want to lose her. I was young. But this was a grown man. And he didn't even know me. But um, that doesn't stop people from running their mouths sometimes. And he did actually call me twice and apologize. But I felt so uncomfortable calling him back. I, I appreciated that he called me to apologize. I just didn't know what to say. I, I just, he put me in such an awkward situation that I just, I, I, I didn't, I didn't know what to say. I didn't, I didn't know how to call him back and say, hi, it's me. I thanks so much for your apology. You're a fucking asshole. Um, I don't even know how to spin or be the public relations person for my own illness. I didn't know I had to be. This is all new to me. Um, I am shocked by your response. I, I got bigger fish to fry than you. I don't know. I, it was, it was a, a difficult time and I just, I didn't know how to respond. I didn't know what our conversation was going to be. He was just apologizing, and I guess I could have just said, well, thanks, I appreciate that. Um, you know, but I, I, you know, my life was on fire, and he just threw gas on it. But in time, I would see that those type of comment, comments would only get, as much power as I would give them. But at the same time, you don't want to sp spend time or be around people who are going to keep making comments like that, especially if you are vulnerable, especially if you're not feeling well, especially if you're really struggling and life is more difficult than that person could ever imagine. Because as much as people um, will accuse you of not trying hard enough or, um, not, you know, just do it the way they did it. This is how they fixed their illness or their problem, which is a totally different illness than yours. Um, you know, I had a friend with depression who, um, really, really attacked me, uh, very much in the way that I'm talking about. And, um, she, you know, she took a pill and she did some talk therapy. And so that's how she thought. And she went to a support group. And so she was, you know, frustrated at hearing me talk about being tired. And um, she doesn't understand. I'm like, you had a pill that balanced your neurotransmitters, even though, you know, she went off that medication, which a lot of people with depression do. Um, they go on it, they go off it, they go on it, you know, they get balanced enough just to, you know, and then eventually they'll need to go back on medication. But there is no pill for me to glide on for a while um, until I need to go back on it. And talk therapy doesn't 
you know, I've, 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 I've talked about my, you know, childhood ad, ad nauseum and it doesn't do anything. You know, it felt good to talk about it. And there were some things that I realized and learned and, and that was nice. But I mean, how, how much, how, how many years can you talk about that and go, you know what, this isn't it. I'm not feeling any better. I mean, I'm glad I realized these things. We've all learned from it. It happened. I got to move on. I got to move on to the next thing. I can't spend all my money and time talking about, you know, every problem I've had or every tear I've ever cried and everything that ever hurt me and think that that's going to make me better. Because if it was, it would have started to have an effect and it didn't. Not, not, on, not physically, not on my energy, not on my stamina, nothing. Emotionally, it was helpful. It did what it was supposed to do, but that was that. So um, it's, it's hurtful when people do that, even though you know it's their own stuff, even though you know they're trying to control their own fears by trying to control you. And I did do support groups for a while. And the chronic fatigue support groups are only, first of all, they're only like once a month. Uh, Half the time, people with chronic fatigue can never make it because they're too tired. Um, They're super depressing um, because some people are wheeled in on a gurney. Um, People are talking about of having to file bankruptcy, which is very common because you've spent all your money on doctors and you haven't worked and now you don't have enough money to pay your credit card bills. Um, I was drowning in debt when I got married, absolutely positively drowning in debt. If my parents hadn't paid for my wedding, it would never have happened. Um, And um, that debt took me years to pay off. And um, I... um, you know, those type of meetings, basically everybody passes around a list of doctors and people go, yep, went to them. That was 8,000 bucks. Yep. 12,000 with this one. Yep. And we pass around the list of doctors that everybody's gone to or supposed to be the chronic fatigue specialists and, you know, in the greater Los Angeles area. And it's kind of useless. And you hear everybody just kind of complain about how the world doesn't understand chronic fatigue and, you know, um, it's very grim and it's not very uplifting. And I find 12 step, well, it's not really a 12 step. Um, but I find those types of groups to be people that want to stew in their own juices and it's not moderated by a counselor because that costs money. And a lot of people have, you know, groups like this and they don't have any money. And I'm not saying that they can't be supportive. And I'm not saying that those friendships can't be helpful. And I'm not saying that they can't work for certain people. But it didn't really work for me. I made a few friends. um, And we would talk on the phone, you know, when we couldn't sleep. And occasionally get together. Because having people who are friends with CFS... They're like the greatest because they're always available to talk, but the worst because it's really hard to get together with them Um, because you might feel up to it, but they're not up to getting together. And so it's almost, you know, I found better for me emotionally to have friends that don't have chronic fatigue um, that are, you know, out and about in the world And they might be busier, but, you know, um, it just works better for me emotionally. Because I found the group to be highly dysfunctional. And a lot of those groups can be. And um, there was jealousy when people would get better and go back to work. And people would say, oh, well, this person's, they're they're definitely going to relapse. You know, it wasn't supportive, it was actually like the opposite of that because when you have something that doesn't have a cure and you have an illness that is so confusing that none of the people in the group really even understand what the fuck is wrong with them 
And we're all just in a muddle of reading books and going to different doctors and everybody's trying everything. And nobody knows what's working. And what works for one person can be poison for somebody else. So we're all giving each other what could potentially be horrible advice. And then if we are feeling better from something, we're trying to convince everybody else that they should do what we're doing. So it's, it's almost like we're almost just triggering each other in ways and projecting all of our stuff back and forth onto each other. So it's just this, this mess of, of people who, who can't help their cell, can't help ourselves and we're not really doing a good job of helping each other. And I found kind of found the same thing in the cancer groups, but that was kind of a different thing because I couldn't find a group of early stage people. So being early stage in a group of stage four people not, not, not where you want to be. Um, very hard to want to share your worries with people who probably aren't going to be alive maybe before the next meeting. Just me. So um, that was that was not that was not helpful experience uh, at all. Um, and I was surprised how the lack of breast cancer support groups there were at the time. I don't know why. They're just that's just the way it was. But um, it was just better off because I, I don't know. For some reason, it's like the the most dysfunctional people, most people with the most severe issues in their lives, go to support groups. Not everybody, but I have found it can kind of be a bit of a freak show. And as an empath. It's bad for me because I pick up on everybody else's emotions. Like I can be somebody where I'm out at, let's say I'm at a gathering, not that I've been to one anytime recently, but I can be talking to somebody and all of a sudden I'll start feeling really anxious and then I walk away and I feel fine and then I go back and talk to that person I feel anxious again and I go, oh God, it's not me. That person's feeling anxious. I thought it was me I'm like, why am I feeling so anxious? I don't feel anxious at parties. Like, I'm very socially comfortable. Um, and then I realized that this, that that person is extremely anxious. So I I pick up on all of that. So going to groups like that is like a soup of just emotions and everybody's stuff. And I walk out of there and I'm just drained. So it's hard for people to understand that it just doesn't, it isn't like a good thing for me. And, um, cause they're not, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm feeling the world as I'm walking through it when other people are just walking through it. It's, I'm just doing my thing. And I'm like, it can be kind of, you know, a challenge for me sometimes. And, um, I didn't, I didn't know this about myself until about, I don't know, 10 years ago or so. I mean, I knew it. I just didn't know it in a in a conscious sense. Like when I was a kid, um, I you know picked up on, um, you know, my parents and their friends, all of their sexual kind of, let's say, urges, thoughts, if you will. But I thought they were mine, and it was so confusing. It was so confusing. And especially at this time, my parents got married young and all their friends were married in their 20s. So all these people with their unsown wild oats together. And my parents would be like, oh, yeah, we're having a party tonight. You know, friends are coming over. I'm like, oh, nightmare. I'm going to be in a sea of all this sexual energy. I'm like, I'm six. I'll be upstairs. I'm just going to go to bed. I'm like, I can't handle this. (laughs) All the smoke and the cheap beer. (laughs) and all the laughter and all of that sexual just thickness in the I can't can't handle it. You don't understand what this is like for me. So, you know, it 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 was there and it was very confusing. Very confusing. So, you know, once I figured this out, I was like, "Oh, that's what that was." But as a child, when you're when you're an empath, it's 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 the world is just kind of this um 
you're experiencing everything as if it's you and it's not. And once you can delineate, this is me, and that, and it still happens to me. It still happens to me. And I'm like, God, I'm so cranky. I'm so irritable right now. And it's usually when I'm out near other people. And all of a sudden, I'll be like, I'll turn around and I'll go, oh, it's that guy. That guy's really irritated. Then I'm like, oh, all of a sudden, and then it's like, I feel free. And all of a sudden, I feel like laughing. So I'm like, someone's angry, you know, but it's not mean. I don't have to like carry that. But when I don't know it's me, it feels like it's me. And I am so cranky. And um, it's just, it's just like walking around in a soup all the time. I just want to get out of, um, but um, it's been, it's been tough to have to literally be the public relations person for your own illness. And for 20 years, I've had to spin it in a way to make other people comfortable to give people what they can handle, to only tell people enough so that it doesn't cause uh, a bigger conversation than I want to have, more questions that I don't want to get or deal with, um, uh, negative you know, commentary, um, unsolicited advice. Oh, if I had you know, a nickel, for every piece of shitty advice I've gotten. Um, you know, I tell people I have chronic fatigue and they oh, have you tried olive leaf extract? I'm like, go fuck yourself. You know, do you think, do you really think I'm a fucking idiot? Do you really think I'm just sitting around doing nothing? You don't think I've been to every single homeopath, integrative doctor, everybody. Why don't you ask me what I've done before you suggest one pill? Oh God, I wish one pill would do it. I wish. God, I wish there was just that one fucking supplement that made this all go away. Or just doing yoga meditation would just heal it all. If one more person tells me, oh, I had a friend, she did, she did yoga meditation. And, you know, and, uh, and they forget to tell, this is the other thing that drives me insane, is that people will tell me they had a friend who had chronic fatigue. They don't say syndrome. They just say chronic fatigue. So it's still kind of like, we don't know if that person actually has a syndrome or if they were just fucking tired, Okay. And, um, or if they were just going through a thing or if they had low grade depression or if they were just working too much, who knows? And, you know, all these anecdotal stories are always lacking information and they never have the amount of information I want. And I usually don't even want to know the story. I'm like, just don't tell me. Um, so they, and they also forget to mention as do so many people who claim and make millions of dollars off of, I was cured by blah. You know, they go, oh, essential oils cured me, which can be super fucking toxic if you take those in heavy doses. Um, they forget to say, oh, and I started an antidepressant. Oh, okay. So the antidepressant wasn't the magic pill. It was the essential oils. Got it. It wasn't the antidepressant. It was the yoga and the meditation. It wasn't the iron pill that you took and that supplement it was the whatever you know so people tend to sometimes look to not the western thing that actually fixed their fucking problem it was the eastern thing that they did and that's the magic now i a hundred percent believe in eastern spirituality practices techniques way more than Western medicine. I mean, Western medicine, you know, you get in an accident, you break your leg, you're bleeding out, go to the hospital, please. You know, don't, don't go have someone throw herbs on you. That's, that's not going to fix your broken leg or your internal bleeding. Um, but you know, when it comes to, um, a lot of the body's other parts and layers and issues that Western does not deal with, Eastern is and always has been the number one way that people have used medicine, whether it be plants, whether it be herbs, whether it be hands-on healing to cure themselves. And it's 100% effective. Um, it can't necessarily cure any, everything, but neither can Western medicine. So, um, 
But when someone tries to put all of the glory on (laughs) the thing that is probably less likely to have been the cure, you know, when you have depression and you take an antidepressant, I'm going to say that's probably what cured you. Call me crazy. Um, And a lot of that information is usually left out of people's stories and they want to believe what they want to believe. And I, I believe, you know, that mind over matter is extremely powerful too. But it's just, it's not going to be, if that was the case in every single um, illness and every single factor, then all we'd have to do is just have mind or matter training and we could all cure ourselves of everything. And why don't, why don't we do that? Why isn't that happening? Why are, why are we bothering with medications and research and all that? Why, you know, if that really truly is the thing, you know, and, and you're going to say, oh, well, you know, it's because companies are so greedy and then, then forget about that. There, there would be someone else just as greedy that could capitalize on, well, mind over matters better, easier, simpler, less invasive, and we're going to cure everything that way. You know, the power of prayer. I mean, people who are prayed for and don't know it, they've done studies while in the hospital versus people that weren't prayed for while in the hospital did better than people who weren't prayed for and neither group knew that they were or weren't being prayed for. I mean, in transcendental meditation, um, they did, they went down to Washington, D.C., a group um, of meditators. And usually in D.C., you know, usually in most cities, when, when the heat goes up, crime goes up. So I guess when people get hot and cranky, they want things. Um, or they get angrier and have less tolerance, patience for life. And um, so they decided to go down to Washington, D.C., which I lived in for a year and a half, which is a really stimulating and very interesting and diverse city. Um, It was really actually um, a really pivotal experience in my life um, to live there. I met people from every single walk of life. Um, and it's, it's really a fascinating place. And there isn't anybody that doesn't know a lot about politics, um, in that city. And I really, even though I was there for only a short time, it was an important thing, uh, in my life. And it was a, it was almost like, um, I wouldn't be who I was had I not had that experience and made the friends that I still have today. Um, from the time that I lived there. So I really do cherish um, the short, but, you know, those kind of times in your 20s where um, you're kind of, you know, looking and searching for um, the next thing. And that was really just a a bus stop for me, but it was such an important one. Um, But, um, and I spent most of it working at a restaurant. Um, But... um, in the city of Adams Morgan, which is kind of like the Greenwich Village of, you know, um, Washington. Um, but um, I'm losing my train of thought again. Um, I've really lost it this time. Gosh, I'd have to rewind this to figure out where I was going because I now have gone off on another tangent. I wish I had a sidekick to remind me what I was just saying. Um, it's gone like the wind. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Um, it's, it's there somewhere. Um, well, whatever point I was about to make, I think, um, I think I'm going to have to save it for next time. Um, so I am going to wrap this up and I definitely have a lot more I want to say and a lot more I want to share. And, um, this has been big. 
This is big for me. It's freeing in a way that I just didn't really expect it to be. I don't know what it is about the thought of people listening to what I have to say, but being able to really be honest about how I feel and for people not to be able to fucking interrupt me with their bullshit and their crappy answers and their unsolicited advice and their 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 reactions where they get just a chance to just hear it without feeling a need to respond. And I get to be heard in some way, even if it's only three people, um, and really be heard. Or maybe even not be really heard, but an attempt at at least I'm really being expressed. And maybe that's all that it's about. But uh, I'm really bummed that I lost my train of thought. Um, But that's what happens sometimes when I digress onto um, another thought. And I got so deep into my experience of living in D.C. I completely forgot what I was talking about. But um, I'll pick it up and and finish it because nothing nothing is more annoying than starting something and going hey where what were you trying to say finish that thought now i'm never going to know what that was and i will i will get that i will get back to it so um i'm going to wrap up and i'll see you next time <laughs>